Amen. You may be seated. Well, as uh, mentioned, it is an exciting time uh, to be here at Christ Church. There's a lot of things going on as we're celebrating our 20th anniversary. And as we're doing so, we're, we're looking at, we've been looking at various uh, ministries of our own here at the church and celebrating those various things as we've seen God's hand really working over the past 20 years. And uh, it's been a great opportunity to be here and see that. And it's exciting to see where he's going to take it next 20 years. I think we're all very excited, especially as the staff, the parish council, and hopefully you are as well, because there's a lot of exciting things happening here at our own church, our own young church, as we are looking at Acts. I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, uh, we are in Acts uh, 10, as uh, Robbie just read. And it's wonderful to really follow along with uh, the look at Acts, as we look at our own young church, because we really see it developing. We really see it developing. And one of the things that's been wonderful here is really to celebrate what's been happening here at Christ Church. You know, a few uh, weeks ago, we had the opportunity to uh, commission some of our folks going to Philadelphia. Uh, we had an opportunity to commission some of our folks going to Jamaica as well in the past few weeks, and they're going to be going off on their missions trip soon. And we never really get to hear the results of those, uh, a lot of times the results of those trips. And so, uh, you know, Doug and his high school crew just came back uh, on all their leaders. Thank you for all the leaders who went on that Philadelphia missions trip a few weeks ago. But it, it was exciting. We had an opportunity this week to, uh, in staff meeting, to ask Doug uh, to kind of give us a, a little bit of a recap of what happened uh, in Philadelphia. And Doug's here, and I asked if I could share this story, uh, and he said yes uh, uh, to me over the weekend. Because it was really touching as it really relates to our passage this morning. But there was a lot of ministry, obviously, that happened uh, during their time in Philadelphia. And one of the things that we asked Doug, I said, Doug, one thing that really stuck out to you, and we, we kind of thought it would be a student or, you know, some other leader that was really affected, but it was actually Doug himself that kind of ran into this uh, situation. And what had happened was, if you know anything about this Philly uh, missions trip, they'll go and they go to different parts of the city and do missions work uh, in various avenues and various uh, things that they had to do. And usually Doug, as the leader, would go and kind of go to each individual area to kind of look over where the students were. But the opportunity arose that they really needed Doug to be actually hands-on in one particular place. And I remember Doug saying in our staff meeting that uh, there was one, if there was one area that uh, he was kind of uh, not as comfortable with, it was this one. And so it was in the area of social ministry. And what they were doing was they were really uh, uh, working with an inner city uh, uh, Salvation Army or thrift store. And what they had to do was uh, take all the stuff that came in and clean all the donations that came in uh, so that they could prepare to sell all the used stuff. Well, that is fine and dandy, uh, unless, and this, Doug will attest to this too, unless you're a germaphobe, uh, as Doug will attest to. Uh, and uh, it's not very comfortable to do. And I remember Doug saying, you know, now he's there, he's working at this thrift store, and now he's face-to-face, there's a man that's working there named Dave. So Doug's in a very uncomfortable situation. He's doing things that maybe he's not comfortable doing, and he's in front of a guy, Dave, who that was his job. But it's amazing how God really works in those situations, isn't it? Five hours, Doug and Dave were face-to-face, which is a long time. And Dave started telling Doug that, you know, he really was hoping to do some good in his life. And Doug was able to share the gospel with him. And amazingly, and praise God, 
Dave accepted Christ as his Savior right there. And not only that, amen, amen. Not only that, check this out. There was a lady who heard Doug praying with this gentleman who came up and said, you know, I was really touched by that too, and I prayed that prayer as well with you guys. So, yes, we need to praise God for that. Why do we tell that story? Well, first off, we would like to share, we, you know, we send folks off to missions all the time. We never really get to hear the good that comes out of it. The other thing is, is that, you know, Doug was in an uncomfortable situation, maybe. And here he is presented with somebody who he could share the gospel with, who probably was much, much different than Doug. Came from a very different background, very different demographic than Doug. And even in the uncomfortable, Doug was able to minister to him. One person coming to Christ powerful. It's powerful. And that's how the gospel really works. As we've been looking at Acts, you, you'll kind of see that over the past few weeks. That it's not just these huge events that happen where people come to Christ, is it? You know, we look at uh, Acts, we think of Pentecost. We look at that a few weeks ago where 3,000 came to Christ. Then we looked at Peter and John in front of the Sanhedrin a few weeks ago, and they were being persecuted. And what did they do? They kept preaching, and 5,000 people came to Christ. And we think, well, that's how it happens. It must happen in these big arenas or in church services where people come to Christ. And while that does happen, what, what happens a lot is, is that the people in the congregation say, well, it's not really my job to go out and wit- a witness or minister one-on-one. That people will come to Christ in these big arenas, in these big church services, or, or in a group, or from a preacher. And I think what we're seeing here in this passage is the idea that it's not just about breaking barriers, which we'll talk about, but it's about one man coming to Christ and then affecting his whole family. One man coming to Christ. Last week, if you were here, we were talking, uh, John Guest was up here, and he was looked at the passage from Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, if you remember that. And Philip received a vision from an angel who said, go to this desert road. And there was an Ethiopian there, orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. Philip was able to share the gospel with him. That was in chapter 8. Notice we're in chapter 10. We skipped over chapter 9. What's chapter 9? Chapter 9 is Saul's conversion in Damascus. We skipped over it because we preached on that in our face-to-face series. What happened there? Saul received a vision. And who was sent? Ananias was sent to Saul to minister to him. And Saul came to know the Lord as his Savior. Changed his name to Paul. So here we have one person, one time. In this story here, we have one person, one time. And we see God using Peter to bring that man to salvation. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there because we only read a chunk of this. I mean, we read verses 9 through 22. Understand, this is the longest passage in all of Acts. 26 verses. 26 verses. We read a small snippet. And this one snippet is important because it really tells us what God wants us to hear from this passage. Understand, there's a whole lot more to this passage. All of chapter 10 talks about what happened here. This vision that Peter had is repeated twice. More again. Cornelius, who Peter went and visited, he also had a vision that Peter was going to come visit him. That's repeated four more times. So what does that say to us? It must say that this is a very important passage that we can glean from, from our own young church in action. You see, the major theme is breaking of the old traditions, of old barriers. The Jewish people, most of you know, have a lot of customs. 
a lot of rituals that they had to follow in an effort uh, to, that led to salvation. And what's happening in this passage is they're no longer valid. That's what's happening. Understand, too, that the Jews did not like the Samaritans, but they disliked the Gentiles, which Cornelius was a Gentile. They disliked them even more so. The Gentiles were considered impure, unclean. In fact, when the, um, when the uh, Jewish people would walk through a Gentile nation, before they'd walk back into Israel, they would shake the dust off their shoes. That's where we get the, the phrase, shake the dust off your feet. Because everything that they did was just unpure, unclean. So for Peter to go and talk to a Gentile, you have to understand, way out of his comfort zone. Way out of his comfort zone. They would have nothing to do with them. And in fact, that vision, a lot of people look at that vision about, I don't know, about the sheet coming down and the four-foot, the four-hooved animals coming down and God telling Peter, go and eat. That was, you have to understand, that was a big no-no in the Jew, for the Jews. They weren't allowed to eat certain meat. And now God's saying, go kill and eat that meat. You have to understand, even, even now, uh, the Jewish culture, there's forbidden to eat certain foods. And certain foods can't be paired with other foods. We were in Israel just a few, uh, about two months ago, and I remember we, there was a lot of customs that they still had that uh, we had to follow. So they weren't allowed to pair things with certain other things. So if there was meat for dinner, there was no creamer for the coffee because they couldn't mix the two together. Uh, there was different places and different uh, spots that you had to go to get certain food. They still hold to that because everything had to be purified. Everything had to be kosher. And there was no creamer. That was a very frustration, a big frustration for me. <laughs> Powdered creamer. But understand that what had happened, they're still doing that. Why? Because they felt like that, that's what was going to lead to salvation, these, these rituals, these laws, these certain things that they had to do. And what's happening in this passage is God's saying, listen, that's no longer valid. It's not about certain way to live. It's not about certain rituals that you had to do to earn salvation. And that's what's happening in this passage. God's telling Peter, listen, go kill and eat. Those things I'm wiping out clean. Why? Because the way to earn salvation is through, through the son that was sent, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So Peter's realizing this. He's struggling with this. That's why when you look at this and Peter says, surely not, Lord, in verse 14, surely not. I can't go kill that. I can't go eat that. It's, un- un- it's, it's impure. It's unclean. That's how I was earning salvation, by following a certain set of rules. And now you want me to go talk to the Gentiles? It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. But from this, we get Galatians 3.28. That's why Galatians 3.28 comes to light. It says, and most of you know this verse, For there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female, you're all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel's for everybody. So the question is, is you may be saying, well, how is that relevant to us today, Jared? You know, most of us are Gentiles, we're believers, and uh, why would that even apply to us now? How can we get anything out of this passage? Well, my encouragement is, is we often look and categorize people, don't we? We often look at people around us and get a little uncomfortable. They're not like us. They don't have the same race that we do. They don't come from the same social economic background that we have. They don't live the same lifestyle that we do. They don't look at where they live, look at where they work. 
Look at the lifestyle they lead. And we often categorize people more than we realize. And we get uncomfortable and we go, no way. I'm not going to share the gospel with them. I'm uncomfortable with them. They're a different race. Maybe they're from a different background. Maybe they've made some bad decisions. Maybe they don't live the same way that I do. And you go, "Ah, you know what? It's just easier if I just didn't talk to them at all. We get uncomfortable. We do this. I do this. We get uncomfortable. We think, you know what? I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be talking to this person about the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Who am I to be able to do that? Right after, this, right after the first service at 9 o'clock, um, uh, some friends of mine came up to me and they reminded me, I was, uh, most of you know I worked with the Silver Ring thing for about 10 years, which is an abstinence program. And we had the great opportunity to go and minister in churches and put on this three-hour presentation uh, talking about you know, abstinence uh, for teenagers. And I remember they, they, they showed me a picture of one of the events that we had done. And I just looked like scared out of my mind. It was one of the first events we did because it was in a uh, bar and nightclub in New Jersey, right outside of New York City. And we went in there. So figure, figure this. We go into this bar and nightclub. We rent it out. And we're going to go in there and we're going to tell people not to have sex until you get married. And then give the gospel message. We were terrified. I was terrified. I thought, surely somebody's going to throw something at me at some point during this entire process. And so they showed a picture. There was a picture of me that they had up on stage. And we, uh, my eyes were just like bugging out of my head, just terrified. <laughs> Why? Because I was uncomfortable. I, thought, I figured I shouldn't be there. These people don't live the same lifestyle I do. I'm not comfortable around them. It took many, many years to get very comfortable to do that. And actually, we did a lot more events in those uh, type of bars and nightclubs. And actually, we had some of the biggest responses in those places. We had the biggest responses in those places. Why? Because we knew God was working on many of those people that were coming in there. So Peter's in the same boat. He's uncomfortable. He's got to go talk to a Gentile. He's got to wrestle through it. He's got to wrestle through this. That's why we see in verse 17 and 19, he says, Surely not, Lord. Not me. I can't go talk to those Gentiles. I'm uncomfortable to do that. It's not right for me to do that. But he does. So what's the takeaway from this? How can we apply this to our own lives as we look at reaching the gospel one person at a time? First off, we realize that there is a place for prayer, isn't there? There's a place for prayer. What was Peter doing when he had the vision? What was he doing? He was praying. He was praying. Notice when he was praying. He was praying at noon on a rooftop. That was not the normal time for Jews to pray. That was above and beyond the time that he was praying. He was dedicated to prayer. There's power in that church when we're praying for opportunities for ministry. When we're praying for that. When we're looking for that. We had a wonderful event. Uh, John and I and myself. Myself, my wife, Deb. uh, John and Kathy and uh, Ed and Tammy Glover got together uh, for dinner uh, last uh, week. And it was so powerful. Deb and I walked away feeling so blessed by what Urban Impact does, especially Ed and Tammy, and how they operate their ministry. Because they're so dedicated to prayer. If anybody you have ever worked with Urban Impact, you know they're dedicated to prayer. And they had to go, they were going through some uh, changes. They had to make some big decisions there with Urban Impact. And I remember that Ed and Tammy saying, you know, we've been fasting and praying for the past uh, couple weeks. And I was blown away. So you've been fasting and praying over this one decision? They said, no, not over this one decision. We fast and pray uh, regularly throughout our year. 
It wasn't even just because of this decision. They had their whole staff do that. Because why? Because they want God's leading in their ministry life. They want God's leading to understand what ministries that they should have to effectively reach people with the gospel. And so they do it regularly. So it wasn't like they had to make a big decision so they stopped and prayed and looked for opportunities. No, they do it regularly. That's my prayer for us as a church, that we, that we regularly pray for opportunities to share. Regularly pray for ministry opportunities to come about. Are you praying? Are you praying for yourself opportunities that God's going to bring people into your life for the, so that you can share with them the gospel message of Jesus Christ? Are you praying for that? Secondly, not only is prayer important, but we obviously need to give up our prejudices as well, don't we? We need to give up our prejudices. We need to give up looking at people differently than us. We need to look at giving, giving up the idea that we are better than somebody else or, or that person's not worth my time and talking to them because we're uncomfortable to do that. There was a paradigm shift for Peter. He had to say, you know what? I'm not comfortable doing that. But I'm going to do that. I'm going to be obedient to do that. And I'm not going to look down on Cornelius because he wasn't following certain rituals or certain laws. I'm going to love him. Now this is the part, excuse me, this is the part where I have to say, this is not universalism. Okay, and this is where a lot of people will take this passage, universalism. Okay. They'll say, well, are you saying, Jared, then we just need to accept people for their lifestyle and who they are? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we just love everybody and we just try to live in peace and harmony because we love them despite how they're living. That's not the case at all. What I am saying is we can't look down on people or be uncomfortable with them. We need to present them with the gospel. We need to confront them when they're not living righteously. When We need to point them back to how salvation really happens. So that's one. The second thing is, is understand that you look at this passage, you look at Cornelius, and you go, it says he was a God-fearing man. He gave alms to the poor. Wasn't that enough? Wasn't that enough? If that was enough, church, then Peter wouldn't need to have gone to him, would he? Some of us live in this idea that, hey, listen, I'm coming to church. I give to the church. I'm helping out in various ministries. I'm living a pretty good life. Isn't that enough? I have to say it's not enough. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. It's not about works. It's not about what you have or what you've done or how good that you've been. It's about grace. It's about asking for forgiveness for your sins, understanding you can't get to heaven on your own. Asking the Lord to forgive that and be the Lord of your life and then leading a different life. That's how salvation is earned. So for Cornelius, yes, it was good. Yes, he gave. But he needed to give his life to Christ. But understand that God was already working on Cornelius. God was already working on the, on the Ethiopian last week. God was already working on Saul, if you look at chapter 9. God was already at work with Dave when Doug was going to talk to Dave. See, oftentimes we think that, you know, I'm not going to talk to somebody, I'm uncomfortable, because what am I going to say? I don't know what I'm going to say. There's no way that person's ever going to come to faith. There's no way that person's ever going to change their life. They're too old, too cold, too far gone, too many bad decisions, come from the wrong area, live the wrong life, live the, do the wrong job. 
God's already working on those people. All he's asking us to do is be obedient. Be obedient. John 6.44 says, No one can come to me unless what? The Father who sent me draws them to me. Understand, we're just called to be obedient. The Spirit was moving Peter. He was already working on Cornelius. He was already working on the Ethiopian. He was already working on Saul. We just have to be obedient. You know, I think it's interesting because, you know, an angel came and visited Cornelius, as you'll see if you read the rest of the chapter, that Cornelius got a vision as well. I always wondered, why didn't the angel just tell Cornelius? Why didn't the angel just do the work? When you look at, when you look at Saul on the road to Damascus, why did Ananias need to go? When you look at the Ethiopian eunuch and, and what happened was that you know, the Ethi- uh, Philip got this message to go and talk to the Ethiopian. Why didn't, why didn't the angel just go to the Ethiopian in the first place? Why did he need people like Philip? Why did he need people like Peter? Why does he need people like Ananias? Why does he need people like Doug? Why didn't, why didn't Dave, who Doug was talking to, why didn't an angel just appear to him? Because he uses ordinary people to do extraordinary work. He uses ordinary people to do extraordinary work. God uses people as his instruments. God uses people. God's going to use you. Paul Tripp was here uh, last uh, fall, and he did a uh, marriage conference. And one of the things he said was, embedded in the larger story of redemption is a principle we must not miss. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things in the lives of others. So my question for you, church, is is God using you, an ordinary person, to do extraordinary things, as uncomfortable as it may be? We know God's working, but he often needs us to go and share the gospel with them. A few weeks ago was a great illustration of this. There was a, uh, uh, Pastor Jamie and I had a meeting for missions here at the church. And uh, we were downstairs in the church, and not, we just sat down, and we hear a knock at the door. And it was this man standing there. And this man looked uh, he, disheveled, let's just say that. He looked a wreck. Baggy clothes ripped all over, kind of dirty, smelled odd, everything you can think of. And he's standing there. He's like, I need to talk to somebody. And we said, well, what's happening? Immediately, Jamie got up and went and talked to this man. What we found out is this man drove two and a half hours. He felt like God was calling him to Christ Church. He had no idea why. But he was called to Christ Church for some reason. First door he came to, knocked on the door, and Jamie and I are in there. Jamie goes and sits with him. And the man says to Jamie, I've I've been leading kind of a bad life. I've been making a lot of bad decisions in my life. And I really need to know what Jesus Christ can do for me. I mean, talk about it right on the platter there for you. Teed up for you, Jamie. Ready to go. Jamie said, well, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? No. I know of him. Kind of know what he did. But I don't know what I need to do. I don't know what I need to do. What are the next steps I need to take? I need to have a relationship with him. How do I do it? So Jamie was able to lead this man to Christ right then and there, right here in our church. Jamie's an ordinary guy. 
I'm an ordinary guy. Doug, Robbie, we're ordinary people. You, you're an ordinary person, but God's going to do extraordinary things with you. If you're looking for those opportunities, if we're obedient, it would be easy for us to look at that man who came to the door and said, no, pass. Or uh, Pastor Barry's office is over in the farmhouse. Why don't you go give him a call? <laughs> or you're probably looking for money, so hey, there's a, you know, we, we you know, just kind of moved him on. We didn't. It was about being obedient, about interrupting your own schedule to go. I'm sure Peter wasn't thinking while he was praying that he was going to get interrupted and go on this journey. But he was praying for those opportunities. God broke down the barriers and said, you know what, I know you're not comfortable with this. But the gospel's for all. I kind of wonder why Peter went. I think it's because he realized his identity was in Christ. For us, once we realize our identity is in Christ, he died for us, died for all. He gave us everything to begin with. Then it's easy for us not to look down on others around us. But our identity's got to be wrapped up in him. And once it is, we have so much confidence to know that, you know what, he's going to use us, ordinary people, in extraordinary ways. That's my prayer. And that's my prayer as we come to the communion table. As we remember what Christ did for us on the cross. He died for us, all of us. And it wasn't by works that we're saved. It's by his own grace. So with that, let me pray for us. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for what you can teach us in your word. Thank you for using Peter, ordinary Peter, to do extraordinary things. Thanks for using Doug, ordinary Doug, to do extraordinary things. Father, I pray that you impress upon us that we may be ordinary, but you can do extraordinary things with us. So, Father, impress upon us this week as we go about our, our week, our schedules, our school, our workplaces, that you bring people to us that we too can share the gospel with them and have full confidence to do so. Father, thank you for what you did for us on the cross dying for us, rising again three days later so that we can have a relationship with you, Father. I pray that we feel that same passion, that same desire to share that with those around us. And I ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.